Well, we're supposed to only do Psalm 28, but I want to do two Psalms. The first one we're going to go through real fast. We're going to open up to Psalm 29. We're actually going to do Psalm 29 first and then Psalm 28. Okay, so let's open up to Psalm 29. And while you guys are going there, I'm actually going to read another passage to you out of the book of Revelation, chapter 8. It says in Revelation 8, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I, and I think about that, silence in heaven for half an hour. Okay, that's going to mean something, okay? So it says right here in verse 2, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Okay, so there's silence in heaven for half an hour. Uh, the angel comes and there's, uh, you know, he offers incense, but then also this is the incense, all of it symbolic, symbolizing the prayers of the people, okay? So you can visualize that in heaven before the throne of God. Can you visualize the incense going up, right? And so it's symbolizing the prayers. And then it says in verse, uh, uh, verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seventh trumpet prepared themselves to sound. And so, you know, as we go to our study today, one of the things we're going to see is so amazing is that, you know, when we pray, when we lift up our voice, God speaks, and, and God's voice kind of comes down. And so you visualize the incense going up into heaven, and then you see him answering prayer. It took a half hour of silence. It doesn't happen immediately. God doesn't answer your prayers immediately. But, but after the half hour of silence, which to me is so mind-boggling, then he throws back down to earth thunder and lightning. And what it is is an answer to prayer. And so now with that as a backdrop, Let's go to Psalm 29, and notice what we read in verse 1. It's a psalm of David. It says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so we got to make sure we give God the glory. Now, we give him the glory you know, for his holiness, how beautiful it is that there's no one like him. Holiness means, man, there's no one like God. It's set apart, you know, the sanctity, the beauty of who he is without sin and just absolute love and salvation. And it's amazing. So give him glory, he says, because of the, the beauty of his holiness. You know, this is a powerful truth. And when you read Second Chronicles twenty twenty one, it says that's how the musicians would lead the army. They would sing in the beauty of his holiness, okay? And so, verse 3, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory, here it is, thunders. The Lord is over many waters. You see how he thunders? It's the voice of the Lord. It's the voice of the Lord that, that thunders. We see the same thing in Job 37, 4 through 5. 
and he thunders. The voice of the Lord is over many waters. Now, there's definitely a connection here between this passage and when Jesus stilled the storm for the disciples, huh? Remember in the Lake of Sea of Galilee when the storms came up? They were, it was completely demonic. It was completely demonic. One time he's walking on the sea. Another time he's asleep in the boat and the disciples are all afraid. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And what does the Lord do? He just gets up. He says, peace. Be still. And the voice of the Lord over many waters. See? And so we're, we're, we're remembering the thunder, the lightning, the voice of the Lord is the thunder. Look at verse 4. The voice of the Lord is, is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. These are these huge trees. But man, he just splits them with his, you know, and we kind of visualize the combination of thunder and, and, and lightning. Can you hear it? You guys, you know, isn't it majestic? You know, when we were in Israel, that we were freaking out over that, you know? And so, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're just kind of getting that visual that we're going to see it in Psalm 28. We lift up our voice to God, and then He speaks. It might be a, a half hour of silence, but then His voice. And His voice is over the, the, the waters. His voice is over the demons. His, his power is over the, the, the huge trees of, of Lebanon. What we're going to see here, it's not just the, the tree, it's the trees. It's not just the ranges of trees, it's the mountain ranges of trees. I mean, how his voice is over everything. Look at verse 6. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. Now, the interesting thing, according to Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 9, the Sidonians, the Bible says, call Hermon Syrian. And so Syrian is a mountain range, mountain range. And the voice of the Lord, it, it makes them skip. I mean, we, we talked about in the Old Testament about how God moves mountains, but you got to pluralize that, not just mountain, mountains, mountain ranges. The voice of the Lord, it does this, right? Verse 7, the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. We saw the fire in Revelation Chapter 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of, of Kadesh. And that's where his people were, remember, in the book of Exodus. They, they came out to this wilderness in Numbers, God taking care of his people. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Now, it's interesting. We're talking about these real big things. And then we're talking about a birth. And it's not even a, the birth of a child. It's the birth of a deer, and it's like, kind of like the Lord says, okay, you know, like, I don't know how he, what he would say, but, you know, give birth, you know. The Lord's voice, his command, he, he does it. You know, if someone's dead and their sins and they don't know the Lord, he just says, live. And they live. I mean, whatever the Lord says, that's his voice. That's how he rules. He doesn't have a button, you know. He doesn't need to, you know, say you know, well, let me do some legislation. He just speaks things. That's all he has to do is speak things. It's just his voice that moves mountains. It's just his voice over many waters that are troubled by demons. It's, it's just his voice. That's what we see in this, 
in this chapter, you know, even over the deer giving birth, right? In Job 39.1, the Lord said to Job, do you know the time when mild mountain goats bear young or can you mark when the deer gives birth? I mean, Job obviously can't. The Lord just over everything. Verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. So this psalm is just giving glory to God you know, and it's the beauty of his holiness. There's no one like him. There he is sitting on the throne, even uh, during the flood. Now, let me ask you a question, okay, you Bible scholars, you. What's the Lord doing during the flood? What would you say he's doing at that moment in time? What's he doing? A lot of you say, well, he's judging the world. That's not all he's doing. He's also saving souls. See? And as he sits on the throne over the world, judging, he's going to judge, he's going to save. It's all the voice of the Lord, our King. And this psalm is such a beautiful psalm. It just gives him glory. Verse 11 says, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And and to me, that, that last verse right there is one of those verses that you can send out to your friends, you know. I know you're struggling, it's, it's, you, know, you're, you feel weak, I want you to know God will give you strength, I know it's hard, I know you're facing difficult situations, I want you to know the Lord will give you peace, my friend, because he sits on the throne. And so I, I wanted to go over that, that psalm first, the voice of the Lord, but here's the thing that we're going to see, a lot of times the voice of the Lord is activi- activated by our voice. There's a connection here between Psalm 28 and 29, but I wanted to do Psalm 29 first because I'm weird, and uh, also because I like the way Psalm 28 ends. And so we move on now to Psalm 28. It's a, it's a chapter that really can be divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 5 is David's prayer, and verses 6 through 9 are David's praise in light of his expectation to answered prayer. And so we read in verse 1, it's a psalm of David, and he says, To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock, do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Now we're going to see in this psalm twice the voice of David, we saw six times in the other psalm, the voice of the Lord. So, you know, now it starts with David crying. You know, his prayer is not just him trying. I think we do that. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. No, his, his voice, David is crying, right? And there's a big difference. I think we need to really lift up our, our voice and sometimes raise the volume at times, you know? If you can't do it inside your house, go into your, your garage or go into your backyard and just cry out to the Lord, Lord, where are you? Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm struggling. Can you hear me? You know, there is a difference between trying and crying. Uh, this is how Jesus prayed according to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, uh, the writer describing Christ's prayer life. He said in chapter 5 and verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. And he's talking about Jesus' prayer life. And when Jesus would pray, he would offer up vehement 
cries and, and tears, and his father heard him as a result of that. You know, Hebrews 5, 7 is interesting. It's not the, the cross, you know, when Christ died, but these are other days. You guys remember how they always wanted to kill Jesus? You guys remember that? The religious leaders from the very beginning plotted to kill him. And, and so the Lord had to pray for his father to deliver him. How often they wanted to kill him, but he was heard by his father because of his cries. And here's the thing. He was delivered from premature death. So the Lord teaches us how to pray, you know, waking up in the early in the morning, going spending time with his father. He teaches us how to pray, you know, not just casually, not just me trying, but me crying. I mean, that's how we need to pray. You know, it's interesting in Psalm 28, we see that David's life is on the line as well. You know, he cries to the Lord. Notice again in, in verse 1, do not be silent to me lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. In other words, Lord, if you don't answer, uh, either A, I'm depressed, or B, I'm dead. Lord, don't be silent. Lord, I know you sit on the throne. Speak. Lord, we need to hear your voice. That's David. You know, he's an example for us. He cried, and, and he knew who he was crying to. We read there again in verse 1. Notice it says, to you, I will cry, O Lord, my rock. You know, the, the, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's a tetragrammaton. That tetra means four. Grammaton is speaking of letters, four letters. The four Hebrew letters, we don't really know what the, the vowel sounds are, but we do know this. It's God's personal name, not just a generic name. It's God, Lord, my personal God, my rock. Lord, I'm crying out to you. You know, and, and we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we cry when we pray? And do we really know who we're praying to? You know, have we really received him as our rescuer, our redeemer, our righteousness, our rock, you know? I mean, the rock is, is this huge, massive rock that we stand on. You know, I was thinking about this guy, Edward Moat, who back in the 19th century, probably 1834, he wrote the song, My Hope is Built. And it actually is a song that stood the test of time. His parents, you know, didn't raise him to know the Lord. They actually owned a bar. They owned a pub. And so this guy, you know, he didn't have a lot going for him. But at the age of 15... Someone came, shared the gospel, he got saved. And he eventually grew up to become a minister, and he wrote songs. He wrote over a hundred hymns. But this one is the one that has lasted more than all the others. You know, he talks about how one Sunday, the words to a new song began to fill his heart. And that's something, just in case you're here and you do write songs, let it be the Lord, man, filling your heart, because you never know, they might be used to the ends of the earth. And so... You know, one Sunday, the words to a new song began to fill his heart, and he said the next Sabbath day, the song was complete. The Lord had given it to him. So the following day, he went to visit a man and his wife, and the wife was ill. And so they're talking to him, and, and Edward Moat said that the husband told them that they had a habit of singing a hymn, reading the Bible, and praying every Sunday. And so it was there in that setting where this wife was ill, that Edward Moat 
for the first time sang that song that we still sing today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You guys know that? You guys know that you won't sink, you won't be sunk when you stand on that rock? And you guys know that when you're crying, you're praying to the rock, the redeemer, the Lord. That's where David is right here. You know, he doesn't want to go down to the pit. You know, sometimes we go through those valleys, we get depressed. He doesn't want that. No, Lord, give me joy. Give me peace. Give me victory. Give me hope. Let that be my anchor. And Lord, the devil's trying to kill me. But Lord, give me life. You know, that's where, that's where he's at. I mean, the thing for us, we know the rock is Christ. According to Exodus 17, 6, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says the rock was Christ. That rock was smitten for us, right? And then Matthew 16, 18 and 1 Corinthians 3, 11 tells us that the church is built on the rock, right? Who is Christ? And so, you know, if David knew about the rock, how much more so should we? And so he lifted up his voice and cried to God in prayer. You know, today, I'll tell you guys this. It was a really cool uh, event I was in my office, and one of the little girls, I won't tell you her name, Ava, she just walked right in. She just walked right into my office, and, uh, you know, I, I was blessed. You know, uh, the other day, you know, I won't tell you this little boy's name, Nathan, but he just walked right in. He walked right into my office, and, you know, he said, hey, Manny, how you doing? Good, good. How you doing, Nathan? Am I over here reading the Bible or praying or whatever? I don't and he opens up my drawers. Hey, what do you got here? I'm all just money. He's in you know what he did? He started just pulling out the silver out of my, my drawer. He didn't even take the copper. He just took the silver, you know, the quarters and dimes and nickels. And, you know, and then so I'm there. What would you guys do? I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you'd be like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. No way. I'm so blessed that he feels comfortable enough to just walk right into my office or Ava to walk right into my office or some of these other beautiful children to just walk right into my office and help themselves, you know? And I, and I was thinking to myself, and, and that's how the Lord wants us to be. You know, I'm not saying be weird or irreverent, but I want you to know that he's your papa, he's your daddy, he's your abba, he's your father, and he's blessed when you just go in and you talk and then you, you speak. And we're going to see David here. He's expecting God to answer him. You know, whatever the, the dilemma is, wherever the challenges are, you know, sometimes when your prayers, when, you're, when they're prayed like this, where you're not just trying, you're crying, sometimes the circumstances will change. But, but a lot of times you will change. They will change. God will do a work. But you got to come like this, you know, David going and just crying and believing, knowing who he's talking to, you know. Look at verse 2. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. You know, the, the Hebrew word translated supplications, uh, takanum, it comes from another Hebrew word, kanan, which means mercy, 
And this is why most other translations, they use that phrase, Lord, please listen to me, cry my cry for, for mercy. Lord, you know, deliver me from death. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. You know, uh, I was so blessed by a young lady, a new believer who was facing jail time. I remember one time I was talking to her and I asked her, well, how do you want us to pray for you? And she just said, mercy. And I tell you what, that's what God wants. Remember Luke 18, 13, the tax collector standing afar off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Go in, ask God for mercy. You know, and here's David in verse two. Notice again, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. And so if I could ask you guys, just lift up your hands for a second, man, if you would lift them up. Because I know for some of you, you feel weird, like, ah, I don't want to do that. You know, it's just weird. Lord, um, when we lift up our hands, this is the first time in the book of Psalms that it speaks of lifting up the hands. It's, it's found a handful of other times, but this is the first time, okay? And, and when you speak about uh, lifting up your hands, Number one, it's an act of surrender. Number two, it's an act of expectation, anticipation that God is going to answer your cry. You know, uh, we see it again, for example, in Psalm 134, verse 2, where the Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. You know, some of you here, you lift up your hands, right? And others of you here, uh, you have a hard time doing it. There, when the Holy Spirit sometimes, not always, but sometimes when the Holy Spirit just gets all over you, you, you just, boom, they're up. It's almost like he lifts them up for you. But I want to encourage you to start doing this because it's a visual. It's a visual. and Not, not a show. You know, not because, you know, Pastor Manny said, but, but you now know what it means. God, I surrender. I surrender to you. And Lord, I believe. I receive. I don't know if my circumstances will change, but if there's, if there's a chance that I could change your mind in some way, Lord, where you would move on our behalf and intervene in a situation that I just don't understand, Lord, I'm ready to receive. And Lord, if you want to change me, Lord, please. And you're, you just, your hands are up. Try it. Do it when you pray. It's a beautiful thing. That's what we see right here. David lifting up his hands. I don't know if you guys ever do, but I pray that you would because it's a visual faith. Of, it's a visual of the faith that you have in your Father. You know, Psalm 63, 4, it says, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. And of course, we know it's not just our hands. It's our hearts, right? We read in Lamentations 3:41, Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. You know, and so you're, you're one of those kids. You just walk in the door. You know, you haven't learned the, the way that, you know, it's supposed to be. I don't know where the book is. Somewhere out there, somewhere, they said that you're supposed to knock first, right? And so everyone else knocks first, okay? And I hope you guys don't get weird on me or anything, but it's like, man, why, why can't I just walk in? You know, Nathan's like, why can't I just walk in? Malachi's like, why can't I just walk in? You know, the kids, it's so cool to see them just walk in. I love it. But what, what am I going to be doing in there that, that they can't see? There's nothing I got doing in there that I'm hiding from them. And you guys know, if you are a healthy Christian, children are beautiful. Children are beautiful. To me, it's, it's almost like I don't, I mean, I'm, to me, I'm like so like almost flattered. 
I'm flattered that they would actually like me, that they would actually want to spend time with me. And I don't know if that's how it works with God, but I do know that he's blessed when you guys are are like that with him. And you go in, and your hands are lifted up, and you're believing, and you're receiving, and God's working, right? You know, David here is lifting up his voice, his hands to the Lord. He doesn't want to die. It's not his time. And so he asks God there in verse 1, do not be silent to me. And, and here he, he asks in verse 3, notice, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. You know, David's saying, oh Lord, the wicked workers of iniquity, they deserve death. That's the sentence for them. But Lord, do not take me away with them. You know, and here we begin to get a little insight, a little background to the psalm as far as what's going on. I know we don't have the details delineated for us in, in, in the full extent, but, you know, maybe it was King Saul. You remember in the early stages, uh, a little friendly, but he wanted to kill him. Or maybe it was someone like Ahithophel, his trusted friend and advisor who would later betray him. We're not sure, but somewhere along the line, there was someone who was, you know, two-faced in his life, and they were saying, hey, David, come here. Come here, let me give you a hug. Well, they, you know, stabbed him in the back. That's kind of what he was facing during this time. Kind of like Judas, who was betrayed with and Jesus. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Kind of like that, right? You know, and, and, you know, I don't think any of us have really been through something that bad, but I know maybe we've tasted of it here and there. You know, it, it's better, just in case you're one of those type of people, just be up front. If you got a criticism uh, for someone, just tell them. Don't tell others, tell them, or tell the Lord, but don't, you know, talk about them. So anyways, uh, here's the situation. Unfortunately, it's common among men, and we need to be really really careful with this, because it's so dangerous, right? Psalm 55, verse 21, it says, The words of his mouth were smoother than than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Psalm 62, verse 4 says, They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Salah. And he says, think about that, you know? And so David says, those type of people, maybe it was Saul, we don't know for sure, they're workers of iniquity. Now, again, this is an interesting phrase, workers of iniquity. We've heard that before. It's actually found 21 times in the Bible The most famous one, of course, is from Jesus in Luke chapter 13, in verse 24 through 27. I remember when I first got saved, my friend gave me this passage to memorize. And so it's always had like a special place in my heart where Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. You know, this week, you guys know we've had vacation Bible school here, right? And it's been a tremendous blessing, man. Even though Jesse and Maria, they're kind of worn out, but look, they're even here tonight, man. And I think that the theme of the, the Vacation Bible School is a straight and narrow road. 
And so if I'm not mistaken, um, what Shelly was telling me what happened the other day is they had this thing where the kids had to go down the straight and narrow road. And so, but the thing about it is they had people on the sides with signs. Like, you know, hey, come over here and you get Disneyland passes. You know, come over here and you get candy. Come over here and you get toys. And, and it was so, you know, the, the temptations were there to what, from what I understand, only four kids made it to heaven, man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then it was so cool, though, because Jesse had a way of just bringing them all back to the Lord. It was so cool how it all worked out in the end. But notice what he says in Luke. He says, strive to enter through because, you know, the day's going to come, man, and people are going to stand before the Lord, and they're going to say, hey, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And Jesus is going to say to them, I never really knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And that's why it's so important that you know the Lord. Know, are, are you sure you're a Christian, man? Have you really given your life to Christ? And we're not talking about religion. I grew up in a religion. I didn't know the Lord, though. A relationship. Because otherwise, these workers of iniquity that David is talking about, they're going to die. They're doomed. And so you need Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we go through here. You know, these people, Jesus describes, they ate and drank in his presence. They went to the church potlucks. You know, maybe they went to the sanctuary and heard the message, but they didn't really know the Lord. You know, John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so Psalm 28, 3, it's like a warning to the non-believer, but it's also a prayer of David, where he says, Lord, please don't let me die like them. And then David continues his prayer in verse 4. Notice what he says. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Now here we see David's asking for justice. And in one sense, that's okay. If someone doesn't want to repent, Lord, get them. All the way they're hurting people, they're doing damage, they're after my life. You know, and so he's praying, Lord, you know, give them what they deserve. And so that's David in the Old Testament. For us, we probably wouldn't pray that way per se. How are we supposed to pray for our enemies? We're supposed to pray for them, right? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, Lord, grant them repentance. Lord, save them, right? That's how we're supposed to do. Jesus commanded us to love and pray for them in Matthew 5, 43 through 44, he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And so, you know, David, he didn't have the cross. He didn't have the New Testament light that we had. He prayed for justice, and he told God why in verse 5. Notice, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands, he shall destroy them and not build them up. Now, they, you know, they don't regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. It might be in reference to the fact that the wicked, they don't even open their eyes to realize all the works of God's creation. You know how he's made everything. You know, God as creator. You know, they don't see. 
You know, we were talking today about some, uh, a sister that's in Hawaii, and we we're just saying, we were actually praying, Lord, I pray that, you know, that when she goes, she would see your handiwork, you know? So that might be what David's talking about. He also might be talking about the way that God operates in the sense that ultimately he's going to bring justice. You know, sometimes people don't realize that. So, you know, it's either God as creator or God as judge. David prays, Lord, judge them for that, that they don't even acknowledge your provision every day or your holiness on judgment day. And so it's a heavy situation. I don't know if any of you guys will ever be in something as heavy as David's, but we go through the things that we do go through. You know, sometimes I, I, I think of my situations, and I don't really think of that person as my enemy, but I think as the enemy. Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so, you know, today there is a guy that came in, possibly demon-possessed. You know, the darkness, the demons that are there. And we just pray, Lord, let the, the power of Jesus Christ come into his life. The blood, Lord. Lord, set him free, break the chains. All the hosts of wickedness combined are nothing against God. Lord, come in. And, and you know, God will begin to move as, as we pray. And so, you know, right here, you know, David's praying this situation, asking God to intervene, you know, and, and then I remember I told you in the beginning that in this chapter really can be divided into two sections. Number one, David's prayer, verses 1 through 5. And then number two, David's praise in verses 6 through 9 in light of the fact that he's expecting God to answer his prayer. So notice what we read in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. You know, and I don't know if you pray that way, but man, I want to encourage you. You know, you pray Lord, here's a situation I set before you. And Lord, I just want to thank you in advance for the way that you will answer my prayer. And it might be a yes or no or wait, but I know, you know, you, you hear my voice and your voice is to follow. It will follow. You know, that's David here. He's blessing the Lord, thanking the Lord in advance. Verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. You know, he's just like, praise God. I know he's heard my cry. I know he's answered my prayer. And it's not just, it's interesting, not just that the Lord gives me strength, it's that the Lord is my strength. You know, and, and the, how, how does it all happen? Well, number one, it's not superficial. It's not like some theological answer on a piece of paper. I, I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. No, it's something in his heart, right? It says right there, my heart, verse 7, my heart trusted in him. Does your heart trust in the Lord? I encourage you to let your heart not be troubled, to let your heart trust in the Lord. He loves you. He loves your loved ones. He's on the throne. He's working things out for good. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And what that means is that whatever it is you're going through, you say, Lord, can you, can you direct me? He will, Right? 
And so we see in our psalm that when our hearts trust, then our heart rejoices. And when our heart rejoices, out of the abundance of the heart, we sing songs of praise to him. Okay, so I want to make it real practical for you tonight. Number one, um, do you lift your hands? Do you lift your hands? I want you, to, I want you to start lifting your hands in surrender, lifting your hands in expectation, lifting your voice, not just trying, but crying. We're living in the last of the last days. Man, the darkness is spreading throughout the land. We can't just have typical casual prayers. We need to cry out right to the Lord. So that way his voice will, will come. But let me ask you another question, okay? Seriously, do you sing? Do you sing songs? And there's a lot of people, I think, in the church, they think they're too cool to sing. You know, or they, you know, uh, you know, I'm just listening, and, you know, Angel and the group, they're up here, and they're doing pretty good, and it's kind of a nice performance, and I feel the, the whatever you call it. Um, is heebie-jeebies a good thing? I don't, I don't know if that's good. It's probably not good. Okay, it's not. Okay. Well, you feel the tingles, and you're like, oh, like it. But no, are you singing? Are you proclaiming those truths? I mean, this is what happens when your heart trusts in the Lord. It rejoices, and it sings. That's how you can tell where you're at with the Lord, whether or not you're lifting your hands, whether or not you're, you're singing songs, whether or not you're crying. Because when you lift up your voice, he's going to speak. Peace. Be still. Whatever it is that he needs to speak. Life. I mean, it's so cool when you see really how this all works. I mean, we need to learn from David. Let's cry out in prayer. Let's lift our hands in surrender and expectation. Let's trust him and be confident in Christ our rock in trying times. You know, it's not this that he gives us strength as he is our strength. It's amazing what God will do. You know, earlier today, we had one of the little boys, Abel's grandson, Noah. He's all, Pastor Manny, can I play the drums? I said, absolutely. So he went over there, and he's getting on the drums, and he's doing okay. And I said, hey, can I help you? And so I sat down with him. I put my hands on his hands, and we were rocking out, man. I, I don't want to, you know, blow you guys away or anything, but I'm just saying I used to play drums when I was... I'm just messing with you. But you know, that's what God does. So I put my hands on his hands, and we're hitting, and we're doing the different things. And, it's, and in one sense, it's him, but in one sense, it's not him. It's God's strength now. That's how it is with us. When we're praying, and, and, he, and he, it's just, the Lord is my strength, and it's a different life. It's a completely different life. You start praying with your children, praying with your wife. You know, you start praying the way that you should. You start seeing God answer prayer. Today, when we were praying, it was me and Henry and an angel. We were in there as a specific prayer request that we were asking God for. And while we were praying, you know, this guy calls. I mean, I know that that's the Lord answering prayer. You know, we need to trust him, be confident in Christ. And he's our rock in trying times, you know, Maybe you're here and you're like, well, yeah, but Manny, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Things are tough, and I know they are. I'm not trying to downplay your situation, whatever that might be. My heart really does go out to you, but I want you to know that it's during those trying times that you'll find out well, whether or not 
Do you really trust him? Because if things are easy and you're like, yeah, I trust God, that doesn't count, okay? <laughs> it's when things are hard and then you're there in the middle of this difficult situation and you're like, but I got my rock, right? You know, and so cry, lift up your hands, trust him, and then sing, even if the people next to you don't like it. God will not only give you strength, he will be your strength. We see in verse 8, the Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. And I, I kind of like that, you know, that the Lord doesn't just give us strength. He is our strength. What would you do if you were out there in, I don't know, we'll just say Jurassic Park. You're, you're walking through the, the fields of Jurassic Park and, and you know, the, 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 I don't know if the T-Rex is, is, is the bad one or what, but, you know, he's coming after you and you're, you know, you're, and then you got the Lord over here and he says, here, let me give you an energy drink, you know. And, you know, you're like, okay, Lord, thank you. And he gives you, you get an energy drink. And now you do feel a little bit more invigorated. But now, are you going to beat up the dinosaur, the lion? No. When we're in a situation like that, we're like, Lord, can you take care of this for me? Lord, you be my strength. And, and that's where we need to be, you see. I mean, right here it says the Lord is their strength and he is the saving refuge of his anointed, and that might be in reference to, this is so interesting, there's so much here, remember when David was younger, he was anointed as king, maybe he's thinking about that back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, for us today as Christians, we're all anointed, it's not just the pastor, we're all anointed according to 1 John chapter 2 verse 20, it says you have an anointing from the Holy One, and so we're all anointed, Lord, you know, you be our strength, Lord, you save us, you be our refuge and then we read in verse 9, save your people, bless your inheritance, shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. And, and, and here's the thing, all through the psalm, it's like David's been asking for deliverance for himself. But now at the end of the psalm, he's asking deliverance for the nation. And it, to me, it's just so interesting the way that it works I want you guys to know, you know, I hope you all know, all of you know, every single one of you know, in seat number 37 over there and 23 over here, front row, back row, every single person, I don't care who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've come from, I want you, I pray that you would all know how vital you are to the church. Because if one by one we're strengthened, then one by one God's going to do a work and God's going to begin to strengthen the church as a whole. This is the king. This is his spot. Lord, make him strong. But it's not just a personal thing. It's a national thing. And that's what ends up happening right here. David prays. He cries, Lord, save me. And, and God would save him and use him actually to save his people. You know, it's interesting, he says, save your people, bless your inheritance, you know, because that's who the people are, right? The people are God's inheritance, according to Deuteronomy 9, 25 through 29, and according to Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 18, bless them, Lord, shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. And so we'll close with this, because we have communion tonight, we'll have the musicians come on up at this point. 
Okay, see if you guys remember uh, what I mentioned to you. Why do we lift our hands? Number one, surrender. I surrender, Lord. I, I, insanity is me doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I surrender, Lord, and I'm going to be in the word and prayer and fellowship. I'm going to seek you with all my heart, soul, and strength and might. And I surrender. Number two, uh, I, I, I expect, I receive, Lord, the answer to my prayers, right? But you want to know something? What I, I also think, what I think of when we lift our hands to the Lord, have you ever had a little, a little toddler, these cute little toddlers, you know, I'm thinking of Miriam right now with the chunky legs or whatever, you know, and, and, they, and they lift up their hands to you. Have you ever had that happen to you, right? What, what are they asking you to do? Carry me, right? Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I'm afraid. Carry me through this because I'm having a hard time. And that's what David talks about right here. Right? In this, in this verse, save your people, bless your inheritance, shepherd them also, and bear them up. Carry them forever. Isn't that what the Bible says? Right? In Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those who are with young. I just want you guys to know this. And that's what we need to do tonight is we have communion and we know our rock was smitten for us. But it's upon the rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you know, make a decision today to follow Christ. If you do, you're hurting, you're struggling. You know, pray that prayer. Lift your voice and know that he'll, he'll talk back and he'll say, yes, I would love to carry you. But let him. And so tonight as we worship, as we have communion, I pray um, that you would be blessed, that God would do a work in your hearts. And maybe some of you tonight, you need to say that, Lord, I lift my, my hands to you. Lately, the, I've been reading a book on prayer and I almost feel like, I'm just going to tell you guys this. I always need to be reading a book on prayer. Because to me, the Lord has really brought me to that place where prayer is probably the most important thing in my whole life. I need to sit at his feet. And so this book is just talking about how, and then you haven't heard it, you've heard it before, it's nothing new. He's our, he's our, he's our Papa. He's our Abba. He's our Daddy. He's our Father. That's who he is. You're his kid. You're his little girl. You're his little boy. That's how he sees you. He loves you. And so tonight, no matter what you're going through, just talk to him, Papa. I need you. I love you. I thank you. Hold me. Lord, hold us.